Hey, what's that new stuff you're using to uh, brush your teeth with? Tohar oil. Tohar oil? Where's that from? Israel. Israel? Israel. You want a natural herbal total tooth and mouth cleansing experience? Now from Israel, Shemana Tohar. Get a bottle of etheric oil formula and a container of mineral enriched powder which absorbs germs and bacteria. Get the Tohar oil treatment kit. Visit www.shemen-hatohar.com. Shemen-hatohar.com. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. This is the Noahide Nation Show, and I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson. And i got to tell you, it's great to have you with us today. Um, let me go ahead and bring my co-host in here, Prescott Johnson. Prescott, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, and uh, how are you doing, Ray? I'm doing good. I don't know if you can sense it in my voice or not, but I'm uh, pretty excited about uh, the show we've got coming up here yeah. for a lot of reasons. But, you know, we can kind of roll into that as, as we go here. But I, I want to do a little bit of quick housekeeping because uh, you and I both love when people send in emails to us with either their comments or their questions. And, you know, I want to make sure that our uh, email's getting out there to all of our new listeners. And that is. Noahide at IsraelNationalRadio.com. And we do want to uh, extend a hearty welcome to our new listeners at Shalom Radio in Montreal, Canada at 1650 a.m. Welcome aboard, folks. We're glad to have you here. A bonjour. So, Prescott. Bonjour. That's right. I, I took French in third grade, and that may possibly be the only word that I remember. Is bonjour. Yeah. Don't even know if it sounds right. You're the Canadian. What, do I sound okay? It sounded, uh, well, I, I'm in uh, a, a very English-rich area of Canada, but it, it sounded pretty good to my ears. Um, so... Well. <laughs> so maybe I should go back to my third grade class and learn a couple other words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can at least I, I can at least pull off uh, bonjour, come on, ça va, and uh, that's about it. Um, and uh, anyway, and also I think I can tell them that I'm not really able. To, I can only speak a little French. I'm not going to do that right now and embarrass myself, but. Uh, uh, well, I was just going to say it, it sounds to me like you're bragging, so just you know, <laughs> cool it down a little, will you? Uh, but anyway, speaking of uh, you know being in the third grade and in a in a, a child and everything, you know, one of the things that you know you and I have talked about and that uh, many people who are God fearing people talk about is the the critical nature we seem to be in right now as far as this time in history with our kids and, yeah. and you know where we're going from here and you know quite frankly our children are the future of mankind things that they're being taught in the public school system to me is, is tragic and in my opinion uh, literally bring about the destruction of well i'll leave it at the western society as we know it you know i don't know what it's like in china or japan or india or anything like that but i know that you know what is being taught in our schools today is is really devastating our society and we're actually witnessing it you know this very day um, you know, I don't know how it is in in Canada. Have you kind of seen the same thing, or uh, I, no? 
I, I think that uh, right now we're probably a step or two ahead of the U.S. in terms of embracing a, a lot of what uh, I guess we would call a left-wing or a socialist agenda um, in, in our schools. Uh, when, when someone like uh, uh, Dr. Laura – uh, is uh, not on the airwaves up here because uh, she was uh, uh, they, they had ruled that her radio show was uh, on on the on the edge of hate speech uh, because she uh, suggested that uh, uh, that those in the homosexual community uh, that they were suffering from a biological error uh, and uh, this apparently qualifies as hate speech. Uh, here in Canada. so uh, Boy, in fact, uh, we're kind of going through that uh, ourselves right now. So you're definitely ahead of us in the game. But You guys you know, are going to pass uh, us, um, though. We, we Oh, yeah, well, we're, we're contenders. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we may be the underdog now, but, you know, we aim to, to beat everybody. And that's, that's what's going on right now. And, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. They're, they're trying to control the airwaves under the guise of, uh, you know, being fair. Yeah, yeah. And when you hear what's really going on, you realize that this isn't fair at all. And it's even worse for our children who sadly don't know any better. I mean, you know, just to kind of give you an example, uh, uh, you know, here, uh, the teachers union in America basically is, you know, teaching the kids. Here's a good example. Darwin's theory. They actually teach it as a fact, mm. when in reality, even the, the, the reference to it is Darwin's theory. It's only a theory. <laughs> it, it's not a fact, but yet the textbooks and the teachers teach it as if it is a fact. And then, you know, those who believe that God created man, you know, they're, they're treated very harshly or, you know, teachers give them poor grades or, you know, just flunk them out. You know, altogether, and it's it's really tragic because being kids, uh, we all want to be liked. I mean, even as adults, we all want to be liked. <laughs> but even kids, more so, because uh, kids tend to be less tolerant. And you know, if you're not part of the crowd, you're treated in in a pretty pretty harsh ways. And this is uh, kind of what kids are experiencing in schools these days. They have uh, uh, even gone as far as uh, not teaching the truth about history. I don't know if you get this up there with Canadian history, but I know here with American history they're you know they're distorting the truth or, or just flat out lying mm. about it or excluding it uh, altogether. It's it's amazing where things have gotten to today. In fact, it's gotten so bad uh, that there's a lot of observers that actually envision uh, liberals and conservative families uh, lining up in pursuit of separate education, mm. if, if you can imagine that. Because, you know, quite frankly, conservatives believe that I ideological policing in a classroom may simply be impossible. And the, the liberals feel that they can get away with it exactly because of that reason. And given the, the current stranglehold that the progressive liberals have on the education system, uh, you know, it's easy to, to, to see how that can happen. In fact, I'm thinking here of actually calling it the education indoctrination system. Well, well, you know, I, I had read a book um, once uh, called Lies My Teacher Told Me, um, which went through um, a lot of the kind of uh, the, the messages that were in the textbooks that didn't jive with the historical record. Um, but interestingly, I got the feeling when I was reading the book that uh, it seemed to actually – uh, again, this here is a, a you know so much of what's going on today is about how can we 
how can we rebuild history to uh, help our particular political cause or our particular ideology? And because there's revisionism, sometimes it goes on in both directions. And uh, the one thing that we uh, need to be mindful of always is our commitment uh, to the truth and the commitment to uh, searching out what that truth is. And uh, and regardless of the ideological underpinnings that we, we embrace ourselves. I think that one example would be like uh, Helen Keller, who um, is kind of touted as a hero and certainly very heroic in terms of her personal accomplishments. Uh, for those who aren't uh, aware, and uh, forgive me if I get some of the detail wrong, but while well, she was deaf and uh, dumb and blind. So she mm-hmm. she had no way, no means of communicating with people. But as she got older, she became very involved in the Communist Party. And this is a part of the history about this hero, this American hero, that doesn't get told because it, of course, at that time, uh, uh, that was a very bad thing to be involved in the Communist Party. And uh, certainly we have a problem with communist ideology. But it's kind of one of those convenient truths that gets let out. And we can even go back <laughs> in terms of Columbus and uh, the, right. the the earliest settlers in terms of, you know, uh, all of it. Again, all, all of it driven uh, by people's politics uh, so much. And we need to be concerned about the truth. And, and today we definitely have a problem in terms of, uh, in terms of the education system uh, really being driven uh, by an ideology that is troubling to many of us. Well, and it's not consistent with you know our ideology. Not that right. you know we're here trying to promote a given ideology, but uh, you know, for from better clarification, what I see happening is in our society and probably yours, and I know all around the world, based on what people share with me, is that when you take God mm-hmm. out of the equation for kids, they tend to be more hard-hearted. And you can see that over the generations, how adults are very hard-hearted today. But you even look at the kids. I mean, you wonder why kids are now killing kids. Mm. I mean, when I was a child, you never heard about things like that. It wasn't even thought of, let alone actually (laughs) carried out and then reported on the evening news. And, you know, you you answer that question. It's really, you know, simple. Number one, you're eliminating God from the, the equation of, of teaching. And, and number two, in my view, uh, kids are not being taught the value of life. And, you know, they're being taught, for example, that, you know, killing babies is okay. You know, using the mother's right to choose or a woman's right to choose. Uh, you know, well, if, if that uh, were uh, being taught, uh, how much easier is it to kill someone who's older than a baby? Right. I mean, it's it, it don't, logic says that if it's okay to kill a baby, it's got to be okay to kill somebody older than a baby. Well, it's that it's that it's that slippery slope, isn't it? If if we can convince somebody that something is of less value that we at one time value, then it's much easier to keep pushing that line further and further. And yes. uh, and certainly, uh, you know, when you can move from abortion, uh, you know, making abortion almost seem reasonable. And how how hard is it then to take uh, the elderly and the uh, you know those who are most dependent on the help of society to turn them into expendable uh, individuals when we've already done that with the unborn? Well, you know what I'm hearing here. 
I'm hearing another show oh. coming to the surface. Oh, that's right. We're doing an day, interview today. One, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking that you know, with what we're discussing here, that maybe one day uh, we can talk about the ways that you know most of liberalism's beliefs and, and actions are violations of the seven Noahide laws, and yet they seem so harmless. Mm. You know, that sounds like uh, another show, maybe even two. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to talk, but I, you know, that, I think that might be a, a good thing to touch on. Our next guest is somebody who is actually doing something about it. She is a mother. She's a grandmother. Uh, she's part owner of a publishing company. Uh, she's a longtime friend and a Noahide and has just authored a new book titled The Rainbow's Promise, which is published by Lightcatcher Books and uh, illustrated by a friend of, of ours and, uh, oddly enough, the former co-host of this very show, Adam Coincidence? Penrod. So let me go ahead. I exactly. Think that. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, please welcome to the show uh, Carol Long. Carol, how are you today? I'm just doing great, Ray. Hi, how are you, Prescott? Wonderful. You are probably chomping at the bit to get in that conversation with us. Oh, no, I, I actually know how to listen. <laughs> Well, we were, I'm sitting here just realizing, oh boy, we've got Carol sitting over there on the sidelines and you know listening to us blather away about uh, our beliefs, and you know we need to uh, get you in here because you indeed have actually uh, done something about it uh, as far as writing a children's book, which uh, of course is very much needed in the world today. It's one of those things you definitely aren't going to find in the schools uh, uh, systems. And if you go into a bookstore, you're not going to find it on the top shelf. You'll be lucky to find it on the bottom shelf. You know, I, I, I realize that this is a, a you know children's book, uh, which some might think it would be you know, pretty simple to write. Uh, but I'm thinking that it, it could be you know, harder for an adult to write a book like this in a way that would be appealing to children. Did you, you know, find this to, to be a challenge at all? Uh, definitely, definitely. <clears throat> because there are some concepts that seem rather difficult to explain to somebody who's very young. And I wanted the book to be directed to very young uh, children pre-readers, even as young as two years old, I wanted the parents or the grandparents or the aunts and uncles to be able to sit down with the child and read the book along with them because, one, it also instructs the adult, but then secondly, they can explain to the children on whatever level they can understand uh, further details about the seven laws and... Uh, you know, they can simplify it. I've tried to put it on the simplest, uh, most understandable form. And then as they get in older and they can read, uh, the, the words are basically pretty simple to understand. And early readers can also read them. I've included uh, a little bit of Hebrew so that they could learn the various ways to pronounce certain words. Because most children read books over and over and over. And this mm. is definitely one book we want them to read over and over and over. And so to uh, change it around a bit, once they're familiar with the story, we encourage them to use the Hebrew words where they appear uh, on their counterparts. Right, right. You know, that's, it's funny you mentioned that, Carol, because I thought that was a, a very clever uh, idea on your part to you know, have the Hebrew words 
uh, in the beginning of the book with the English definitions right there for them as, as well. What what made you think of to do something like that? Well, I I think as Noahides, one of the things that we emphasize, particularly as we become more aware, is the, our relationship to the Jewish people and how right. that they are our teachers, our priesthood. And so we look to them, and Hebrew becomes an elemental part of that, just a natural part of it. And the words are instructive, and, and as I said, they always will relate to the story. Right. Well, well now, uh, tell us a little bit about the story in the book uh, itself. And, and don't give away the ending, because there may be folks listening who don't know the story. So. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that there's technically an ending on this. Um, I tried to find a creative way to tell the story of the seven laws. And of course, uh, so much of that is associated with Noah and the rainbow. So um, I think there's, and I should have perhaps looked this up for this interview, but there was a, a story or poem or parable about how you learn everything. A child learns everything by the time they're five years old, what they need to know in kindergarten. Mm. And it, it goes through and it explains that you understand all these relationships and how you treat your, per, you know, a neighbor. So we have the story taking place in a park where children naturally play. Ah. And in this park... Well, I guess I should really explain that it's my grandson is the one that's featured in the story. Oh, okay. My my grandson and his grandfather, so, Saba. So that's, is Saba. that supposed to be Jim? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is. <laughs> I noticed the goatee. It just kind of looked familiar. And... <laughs> right. Well, and, and I will add that Saba, grandfather, is uh, a little slimmer now. Uh, <laughs> But yes, it is. Uh, in fact, the representation of the family, I mean, I'm just all out and out. I, I started the book by working with my grandson. Oh. His parents were having a little difficulty with him. He's the oldest one, and he was being a little mean to his brothers and, you know, kind of familiar stuff. But they, uh. they kind of wanted us, for some reason, to take a lead and kind of talk with him, thinking that maybe he would listen to us better than, you know, parents, which is often the case. That's why I'm saying this book is good for grandparents to use or for aunts and uncles, somebody that the child can relate to. So so that event really kind of inspired... It did. It did. And what happened is uh, I thought about it, and when I knew he was coming over, I did a really quick version of this, just almost a draft of the same story. And I asked him to help me find clip art for it. And so he would, he would find the clip art and I'd put it down and we, we kind of made the book and I printed it out right then and there and gave it to him to take home later in the day. And he helped me make the book. Well, after he left, I got to thinking, you know, I really should expound on this. I, I, I really like the idea and of course, I couldn't use the clip art because it was a little bit too um, e- e- eclectic and you know had copyright problems and all of that kind of thing. This was just a, a basic thing, and so I contacted Adam Pinrod, and knowing he was uh, had always had a, a hand in illustrating and comics and things that he liked to do, 
and he was on board with it. And so we began to collaborate. I gave him, I finished out the story and had Jim, my husband, look it over and tweak it a bit or give me suggestions. We fleshed out the text and then we sent it to Adam. And I sent it to him with the version with the clip art. And I said, some of these concepts I want exactly the same, but, you know, I want it to have this flow of every, you know, the same illustrator, just like most children's books do. Right. And so he worked with me, and I worked with him, and um, we came out with the illustrations. And and Adam, being uh, quite a bit younger than me, uh, has an eye for uh, the the illustrations being a little out there, maybe more than I would have had. I probably would have had, you know, pastels and things of this nature. But I knew that he could relate, having nephews and nieces, and also kind of a kid at heart himself i was he... going to say that but... <laughs> no adam would never admit to that oh no no adam would admit to that yes in but fact he you probably had a, love he doing had a wonderful this. right he, he, and he's got a kid on the way so i know, know. Yeah. so he has this wonderful flair for uh getting things a little outside the box yeah yeah and um so between the two of us you know we 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 got it out there and uh uh, I, I'm very pleased with the results because having run it then l- legitimately through my grandson, you know, it catches his attention. The drawings. I mean, that's the first thing that children exactly. look at before they can read. And um, then, of course, it does have a personal basis for me because it does represent uh, my grandchildren in here. And it was basically written for them. It, it's right. really in my, my heart and mind, I'm doing this for my grandchildren. Yeah. And that's why we call it Saba's Stories, uh, because Saba is, you know, Hebrew for grandfather. And we have this um, hope and dream that one of these days that Saba's Stories will grow into uh, more volumes. And one of the reasons for that is because I've kind of promised myself and my grandchildren that they will each be featured <laughs> At right. some time in a story, uh. <laughs> uh, it's only fair once you start with one. You got to do it for the rest. You know that's right. just kind of how it works. Being a parent and grandparent, so uh, I have a couple of ideas in mind. But uh, most well, of the stories, before you get into the <laughs> the other ideas, uh, we are bumping up against the the bottom of the hour. Just real quickly, uh, can you tell us what age group the book is written for? To be read to, I would say even a two-year-old, because the colors are bright and the pictures are funny, and you can talk about even the things that you see on the page in in that, and you can talk to them and read the stories. They might not understand it at first, but maybe it'll become a book they like to play open and look at. Uh, up till I'd say eight or nine years old. My grandson is now nine. He's kind of outgrown. Uh, I would have thought, but still he. He's uh, definitely the age that would enjoy this on their own. Okay, great. Well, listen, folks, we're going to have to take a break here. Uh, Please stick around with us, and uh, we'll be talking with Carol Long on the other side of the break. (music) 
Israel is known for its breakthroughs in medical research, including the field of herbal supplements. Prisho Opuntimal is dedicated to the wellness of men and women, particularly in the areas of prostate and urinary tract health. We make it affordable for you to get the very best natural health supplements available. Don't just suffer. Get Prisho brand Opuntimal. Order it online at prisho.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O dot com. If you love Israel and you're coming to the Holy Land, you need Israel's best tour guide. See Israel like you've never seen it before. Mayor Eisenman will take you around the country for an educational and fun experience. Each tourist gets a personally designed tour. The land of the Bible, the land of the Tanakh, comes alive in the hands of an energetic and experienced tour guide. Visit IsraelByMayor.com. That's IsraelByMayor, M-E-I-R, or email him directly at IsraelByMayor at gmail.com. Welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. And we've been talking with Carol Long about her newly published book titled The Rainbow's Promise. And, and Carol, you, you mentioned you know, early on in the, the interview that you were kind of motivated to you know, write this and were inspired to write this because of your grandchildren. Uh, you actually had one yes. of them that, that helped you do this, which is kind of cool, because they're actually interacting with it. Uh, were you able to do any kind of testing prior to publishing with, with other kids? Well, uh, I didn't really test it outside of I sent um, a copy of it to Rabbi Richmond, Heim Richmond, uh, you know, through the PDF files and let him look at it and kind of give his nod of approval. I, I felt like uh, I need, I wanted that uh, for this book. But as far as children, it didn't really matter that uh, nobody else tested it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was just going to do it because I knew there would be people out there that would appreciate uh, the book and what it does, uh, especially other Noahides. And I knew it was needed. I I had not seen anything like this. Uh, You know, in bookstores, you will find uh, sections that deal with uh, Christians, and you'll see Bible stories galore, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes with a different maybe – uh, angle and but you don't see a lot of books on just morals and ethics as they pertain to everyone everyone um, and it, it just does so desperately as you pointed out earlier need to be taught starting at a very young age because children will learn from all of the wrong sources and they, what they're learning when they see television or even their friends now because of the f- influence that everything has on their friends, they're just all learning the wrong things. And we have to, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we have to challenge that. We have to challenge and see that at least they are given a basis from which to grow. And hopefully, I, and I firmly believe that seeds planted at a very young age uh, will uh, grow, and you know sometimes they may go astray for a while, and but they they usually return to those basic roots that they learn. Well, I, I always remembered uh, a verse that I used to hear quoted back when I was younger, and I grew up in a Christian home. 
Uh, and uh, words that we would often hear people, or a verse that would often be used would be, you know, uh, uh, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say he won't depart from it when he's, uh, you know, 20 years old or something like that, though, does it? Well, well you know, and there was also the angle that I kind of, uh, sp- uh, okay, I say spun, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But uh, one of the thoughts that I had is that, you know, like uh, oftentimes children or at least adolescents or later on that they may uh, reject what they had been taught or actually sometimes are actually acting out in what they've been taught uh, it's just that sometimes parents don't realize the lessons that they're actually teaching them. That sometimes they think that, well, I, I take my kid, uh, you know, I take my kid to uh, church, I take my kid to synagogue, I take my uh, kid to the mosque. I, but the lessons that they're learning from mom and dad sometimes aren't consistent with those religious values that are being instilled. And so sometimes the kids really do embrace what their parents taught them. Sometimes the parents just don't realize that what they were teaching their kids wasn't always uh, what was right. And not to put guilt on parents who struggle with what they teach their children. Well, exactly, yeah. because I, I mean, it's tough. I've been a parent, and it is, yeah. it's very tough. No yeah. matter what you feel and think and try to do, yeah. the, the child still, I mean, it's all about free will. Yeah. And we, you know, we have to respect that to a certain extent too. I mean, that's what how God created us. Yeah. So, well, yeah, and, 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 and I, I, well, I was going to say just to kind of expand on yeah. that, that that Hashem yeah. also created a good and evil for the purpose of right. free will. But if a right. child is learning nothing but evil, where the, the free will is is no longer. All they do is evil because kids want to learn. Right. They're right. like sponges, and though, but they're only going to learn what you teach them. Right, right. Yeah, and, and as I say, not to, I wasn't trying, <laughs> I realized after I said that, it's like, that could really sound like I'm really dissing parents, and I don't want to make it sound like that, but, uh, you know, I, I know from working, uh, you know, in a previous life with young people that kids see things that sometimes parents have trouble seeing in themselves, and that becomes a roadblock to them sort of uh, embracing the the religious uh you know some of the religious values and uh as you say uh, at least in the book you weren't looking for kids to teach you what the right and wrong that needed to be in the book you knew what needed to be there uh, and and that's what uh, i guess we need to take from that is that we need to be very consistent about the message that we spend uh or the message that we send to kids and that because uh, there is this, there is this uh, attitude out there now uh, amongst certain educators that we're supposed to let kids teach themselves. Oh yes, that we're oh, not yes. supposed to instruct them. We're not supposed to tell them right from wrong. And I think that a lot of, sometimes there are parents who have sort of adopted a similar kind of "my kid will figure it out" when really there's a strong biblically given responsibility to parents to teach their children. Right from wrong. Correct. Yeah. Well, and so. we see that uh, plain as day because, again, kids are going to learn. And, uh, you know, a parent who says that, oh, well, my kid will figure it out as he goes, well, I'll guarantee you they'll figure it out. And it will be with the help <laughs> of their friends. 
And yeah, that's what uh, sadly is is what we're looking at today. And uh, uh, Carol, you, it's very interesting. You, you bring these seven Noahide laws into the storyline very very nicely, and I particularly like how you handled a very difficult subject, uh, which is the you know, sexual immorality law. Uh, and you know, this, yes, how do this you is, talk yeah, this about is probably five year old. I know for me, I don't know about anyone else, but this may be the most difficult <laughs> one uh, to deal with when you're trying to teach children. You know, can you can you share with us, you know, just how you dealt with that, you know, mentally, and how you dealt with it in the book? Well, uh, first of all, Jim and I did agree that we would use the actual terminology of the seven laws in a way that was uh, as it was taught. So, in other words, we kind of used the big words. Uh, in, in this particular case on the family, it was do not commit immorality. And rather than uh, go in and try to get into any kind of really dis- basic discussions, we talked about family. We talked about how that when Hashem made animals and birds and fish, that he created male and female so that they could become parents. And when a husband and a wife had a baby, how they become a family, and that God intended that marriage between a man and woman be exclusive. Hmm. And then, having also heard a rabbi talking to his children very openly, because one thing I've noticed about the, the Jewish families is there is no topic off limits. And they will use the terminology that's necessary even from a very young age, um, he, he, he was talking to his children and he said something about the special love that mommies and daddies have. And I thought, wow. So I, you know, I, I appreciated that. And I, used, I, I said that in the book. I said that this means that their special love is only meant for each other. Now, depending upon the age of the child, and again, I I do encourage this book to be read with adults, because uh, somebody can say uh, to their child or their grandchild, they can say, that means that uh, daddy should only love mommy. (laughs) He shouldn't love somebody else. Another, he shouldn't love, you know, Joe's, your friend Joe's mommy or something like that. And you can handle it however you want, because I basically bring in the the idea that, you know, nature and the way God created it was male and female. Again, I leave it to the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to explain. And and some of the others, like, uh, you know, when you talk about theft and stealing, you understand. Now, the the, the interesting one I did, and again, uh, for parents, was blasphemy. And idolatry. Right. And, you know, how do you explain concepts like that? Well, Adam did a very clever drawing. And in the book, there's this out there kind of kid saying, (laughs) well, God doesn't exist, but I do believe in aliens. I love UFOs on a shirt. (laughs) Yes, I love UFOs. (laughs) And and that brings it into modern times, because how, how much of that do we really have going on in the world today where people are giving honor and belief to supposedly mystical things that aren't there any more than they can prove, you know, supposedly that God exists or doesn't exist, but yet they will believe in aliens yeah. prior to li- believing in God. <laughs> now, I will point out that one thing about the book and the laws is, even though there were the do not, do not, do not, I always tried to balance it with what 
the correct action would be uh, so that there's a positive thing to teach the child. You know, and, and that goes into, and, and um, on blasphemy, it goes into Hashem knows we are going to be happier people when we're being good and when we're learning about him. And it shows a little boy reading the Torah. And then about idolatry, it shows a, a little boy praying to God, only to God. And uh, I kind of enjoyed the idolatry one because I actually Adam and I worked together on this. He had a lot of really interesting characters worshiping a lot of different things. Um, we, we, we have Mr. Tree Man here dancing around a tree, and we have some lady <laughs> praying to the water. We kind of were getting the What do you suppose element. that's in reference to? Well, it was in reference to the elements, it, you know, the tree, you know, the elements. People worshiping uh, the environment, maybe? Mother Earth. Well, in, even in the – yes, yes, Mother Earth. We could put um, a little sign with Copenhagen on there. <laughs> but, but the one thing I did, one thing I did is uh, we have a statue in the park. We have a statue, and right. there's some man bowing down to the statue. I'll, I'll just let references to the statue go wherever it may. It wasn't meant to look uh, particularly religious, but it was the idea that no person, living or dead, should be regarded uh, in in a worshipful way. Right. The other thing, in telling the story of Noah's Ark, because we did have to lead up to it, and that's basically where Grandfather tells the story of Noah and, and the flood mm. and what led up to the flood and why the world was destroyed at that time and then how the rainbow comes about, which again leads to the promises of this, this new beginning, this new world, and the rules that had to be given so that it didn't happen again. And that's when we get into the discussion of what were these rules. Well, it was this and this and this. But it shows, too, how that previously the world wasn't always the best, a good place and uh, why, you know, why it was destroyed. Yeah, uh, I know that that was uh, another thing that I I really appreciated about your your list was that you did include the the positive aspects of the commandments because oftentimes uh, they say that uh, kids hear no way more times growing up and you talked earlier about the first five years they hear no way more often than they hear any kind of affirmation mm-hmm. and uh and and they say that the mind uh does a strange thing when it hears what not to do that you're actually teaching the mind to think about the very thing that you're not supposed to do and that exactly. act, that yeah. that serves as a reinforcement now not that we shouldn't actually articulate those prohibition, you know, do not commit theft out of fear that they're going to think about stealing, but without sort of directing their energy towards that, uh, the positive uh, act of giving charity, kind of the anecdote to uh, that prohibition. um, Exactly. Which, uh, as I say, you know, it's like, you're not just saying what not to do, you're actually saying that as a consequence of what we're not supposed to do, this, this is what we learn about what we should do. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's uh, an excellent point. Uh, even the sages and you know rabbis that you listen to uh, today uh, teach that very thing. And in fact, many that I've talked to have actually said that you really can't even carry out a mitzvot unless you do the positive action. For example, when it mm-hmm. when it says "do not steal," the way to carry that out is to give charity. Just is an example. So exactly, and I, and that's illustrated in the book in that way. Right. It yeah. is illustrated. It, you know, there's there's the the guy stealing from the older gentleman, and then there's the young 
the young girl who is is handing some money to a homeless guy. Right. So. Well, and that uh, yeah. was one of the fascinating things that I, I saw in there that I and that really was appealing to me as well is that you offered something that really doesn't get talked about a lot. Is it's not just a matter of what not to do; it's what you do to fulfill that what not to do. And that's by doing the positive action. And yeah. you know, another thing I noticed, Carol, is that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I noticed in the copy that I read that you had you know, Saba's stories, and it's volume one. Can you uh, tell us, uh, if, if you care to, whether or not you're intending on writing more books to kind of create a, a series, uh, or at a minimum, at least add to the number of books for kids that discuss the, the morals for mankind? Well, I did that in a way as to uh, make sure that we do try to continue a series of children's books. Uh, As I believe I said earlier, uh, I I have four grandchildren at this point, and I thought it would be nice to feature each one of them in a particular story. Now, I don't want the series to become just a retelling of the Bible stories. That's been done. Right. And they're out there, and there's books like that. Now, one of the things we did in the retelling of the tale of Noah was we did use some of the tales uh, and explanations that were from the Midrash, uh, which is, of course, the Jewish oral traditions of the stories and and how things were done. So I, I will slip in that from time to time if the Bible story is essential to the book but it's not going to be like you know selecting uh say like the granddaughter to become esther or something of that nature um i want it to be out there to promote something whether it's we get into more detail each time with the seven laws now the next book for example uh it's still in my mind and i do have kind of a concept of it but i want to teach the young children, how and why we should respect the Jewish people. And that will come from some little title like, Why Does Sammy Wear a Kippah? or something like that. Uh, and, and an explanation of what the Jewish community right. uh, should ideally be to the Noahites. Yeah. And uh, how we should respect them uh, for that role and understand that they have you know, customs that maybe we can share with them through, like, for example, observance of Hanukkah and uh, other things of that nature. And again, on a very child-like level, easy to understand. But what I am looking for, and I would ask the audience to even help participate in this, and trust me, if you give me an idea of something that I can follow through with and create into a storyline... I will give you credit for that idea in the book. If you thought, oh, I wish there was a book about this, or I wish there was a book about that, and it can be incorporated into Saba's stories, we will do that. Uh, I had a a, a Jewish writer contact me the other day about um, some possible Jewish, uh, well, it was children's books. Um, And I told her that I thought they were excellent, which they were, but... I, you would almost have to be a Jewish child already in a traditional family to have understood them. Right. And I'm pulling back from that aspect a little bit because I, I really want this to be for Noahites. I want this to be for people who can't get the resources 
in a Jewish bookstore, you know, or from a Christian bookstore or whatever faith it might be, uh, I want it to be really for Noahides. So it's not a retelling of a, of a Bible story. It's something that they can relate to. So if there are other ideas out there, I, I mean, I'm a relatively creative person, as is my husband, but we have a lot going on. We're, in fact, I just finished publishing, or we just got back from the printer, another book that uh, we're, Lightcatcher is now carrying. And so I spend a lot of time uh, behind the scenes and doing things, and I, if it's creative, I'll, I'll jump onto it and do it, and I, that's why I'd like a little participation from the audience. Well, and, and I would, you know, because I know if we could all brainstorm right. towards, and this, I, I would even suggest that for uh, those parents or grandparents who may have already done something similar to what Carol, Carol has done in you know writing your own books for your own grandkids to to learn from, uh, I would submit them to Lightcatcher Books and and uh, see if they can't make that book happen for you. And get it out into the to the world for our kids to to learn from. And uh, Carol, we're kind of getting close to the end of the show here, and I want to get a you know a couple more important things in before we conclude. And you know, hopefully, at, at some point uh, in some of these books, you'll be able to really convey what the the rainbow, particularly the colors of the rainbow, are all about. You know, most people, even adults, don't really understand that rainbows did not exist prior to the day that Hashem made the covenant with Noah. The reason right. that he, he gave the, the rainbows you know, is, is, is well beyond just a, a, a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of the, of the covenant because with all the colors in the spectrum that there are, you can only identify with, with your eyes, you can only recognize seven colors in the rainbow. And each one of those colors represent an individual law of the seven Noahide laws. And you know, mo- and I think if you noticed, I did apply that in the book. I didn't specifically say this color represents right. it, but that color the is in the on the page. Yeah. Right, exactly, mm-hmm. yes. and uh, yeah. which is good, and it really causes them to think. But uh, I know for folks like myself, we might need a little simpler text to figure these things out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, 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 Carol, uh, you know, we you didn't name you didn't name for a young enough crowd, I guess, Carol. <laughs> yeah, this is for this is for the unadvanced adults. Um, anyway, uh, Carol, we've been talking about this wonderful book and, and the wonderful job you did with it. How much? Is the book going to set folks back? Um, it is fifteen dollars. Well, that seems pretty painless for for what you're getting. Yeah. Um, right. Well, well, every page is in color. It, almost every almost everything has an illustration. And they're done extremely well. I, I really did like those. And where can parents buy the book? Uh, what's what's the website you want to send them to? Well, exclusively at this moment, it is on Lightcatcher Books website and that's lightcatcherbooks.com but we need to conclude this and i hate to because there just never seems to be enough time when we do important interviews on these types of important subjects but uh, we're going to have to bring it to a close and carol just let me say thanks very much for what you've done and for being a part of this show to share it with our audience well i'm so glad that you gave me the opportunity and really if and there's anybody out there that did want to contact me with an idea they can reach me at lightcatcher at earthlink.net 
Excellent. We hope you folks take advantage of that and, and join in the fun and be a partner with Hashem. And in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and scoot on out of here and wish you all well for the next week and look forward to seeing you next week, same time, same place. Prescott, talk to you next week. All right, Ray. Have a great one. Shalom, shalom. Joshua had one at Jericho. Gideon had one. Now you can too. You can buy your very own authentic Israeli-made ceremonial ram's horn or shofar anywhere in the world by visiting www.thegreatshofar.com. For free shipping, enter the code INR on the website checkout page. That's INR for Israel National Radio. Get your very own shofar at www.thegreatshofar.com. The Yishai Fleischer Show. We've been dispersed for 2,000 years and we're coming back to our homeland, to the land of Israel. Yishai, Yishai Fleischer Show. Sign up for Aliyah. Pack your bags. Proclaim to people, I'm a Jew outside the land of Israel, but I'm ready to go home now. There's a homeland. I'm heeding God's call. Yishai Fleischer Show. That's Yishai and Friends live every Monday and Thursday and archived weekly on IsraelNationalRadio.com. Be there.